31 more Chinese companies added to Washington's unverified list, the move to make it harder for them to import advanced U.S. technology. Tech giant IBM investing $20 billion in New York, boosting U.S. microchip manufacturing and reducing U.S. dependence on Asia. Data on U.S. election workers stored in China. Now, the CEO of a California company is under arrest. The United Nations stays silent on Beijing's repression of Uyghurs in the Xinjiang region. A vote hints at China rallying developing nations to counter the West. And another COVID-19 lockdown, this time with police holding machine guns in an airport to keep people from boarding. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The Biden administration is laying down some new restrictions. The rules will limit China's access to American semiconductor technology. The Commerce Department added 31 Chinese firms to its list of unverified companies, including China's top memory chipmaker YMTC. Being on the unverified list means American authorities don't know where a company's products are being used and cannot determine whether these companies can be trusted with sensitive technology exports from the U.S. Because of that, U.S. exporters must apply for additional permission in order to send goods to companies on the list. The measures could amount to one of the biggest shifts in U.S. policy towards shipping technology to China since the 1990s. If effective, they could set China's chip manufacturing industry back years. The U.S. is concerned about the relationship between Chinese companies and the country's armed forces. The fear is these companies will share American advanced technology with the Chinese military, which poses a national security risk to America. Chinese telecom giant Huawei could soon return to win back some smartphone market share. According to the Financial Times, the Chinese tech group is aiming to relaunch its 5G phones by 2023. That's despite U.S. restrictions. They're designed to block the company from acquiring U.S. technology used to make 5G smartphones. The report suggests Huawei will navigate around the sanctions by using less advanced chips or a phone case with integrated 5G. But experts say this could affect user experience versus Huawei's previous generations and rival Apple's iPhone 14. They believe that as long as the U.S. sanctions are in place, Huawei is at a severe disadvantage. Following the imposition of U.S. sanctions in 2019, the Chinese company's smartphone revenue dropped 50 percent in 2021. A $20 billion investment for tech giant IBM in New York. President Biden visited the plant Thursday. Touting the Chips and Science Act there, he spoke about efforts to protect new investments from ending up in China. NTD's Iris Tao has more. During an IBM plant in upstate New York, President Biden vows to help America lead the next decade by boosting chip production. This is about economic security, folks. It's about national security. The United States has to lead the world in producing these advanced chips. IBM announced a $20 billion investment in New York to develop and manufacture semiconductors and more. And the White House says the announcements are part of a manufacturing boom fueled by the Chips and Science Act that Biden signed into law in August. The law provides over $52 billion for the chip manufacturing industry in the U.S. And Biden says it will help solve a domestic chip shortage and help the U.S. gain an edge over China. China is trying to move ahead of us in manufacturing them. It's no wonder, literally, the Chinese Communist Party 
actively lobbied against the Chips and Science Act that I've been pushing in the United States Congress. Biden also stressed that there are guardrails preventing federal subsidies included in the package from being used to invest in China instead. We're going to make sure the companies that take these taxpayers' dollars do not turn around and make investments in China, investments that undermine our supply chains and national security. That's a guarantee. Just weeks ago, Biden visited another chip plant in Ohio. And as midterms approach, the president has sought to capitalize on such investment announcements, touting them as his legislative wins. And after giving the speech, Biden's also attending two Democratic fundraisers, both on Thursday. And a busy schedule comes as the party tries to defend a slim majority in both the House and the Senate. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Trade wars and Beijing's strict virus lockdowns are driving U.S. firms out of China at a record rate. According to a recent list of suppliers released by Apple, new manufacturing sites are popping up in the U.S. Apple production centers in California tripled from the year before in 2021. Those shifts by Apple suppliers are part of a broader transition in the Silicon Valley tech giant supply chain. Yet blue-collar Americans may not see it as a big win. That's because no country can match Apple's scale of operations built in China, yet. According to Bloomberg, 98% of the company's iPhones are made in China, and there is a well-established logistics system for working with scores of local component suppliers. The complex production chains cost U.S. firms billions of dollars and take years to develop. Bloomberg estimates that moving even 10% of its production away from China would take Apple about eight years. Despite this, Apple and other tech firms have been reducing their Chinese dependence in recent years. Part of it is due to political pressure to increase U.S. production and because of the Taiwan standoff between the U.S. and China. In August, President Biden signed a law that includes more than $50 billion in direct aid for building semiconductor plants inside the U.S. Apple could be moving more production to India, specifically some AirPods and Beats headphones. That's according to Nikkei Asia, citing unnamed sources. The report said Apple iPhone assembler Foxconn is preparing to make Beats headphones in India, eventually hoping to produce AirPods there too. Nikkei says rival assembler Luxshare also plans to help make AirPods in India. Apple has already been shifting some iPhone production from China to other countries. Last week, it said it would start making the latest model, the iPhone 14, in India. It was the first time Apple started production outside China so soon after launching a new phone. This comes after Apple suffered supply chain disruptions due to China's strict zero COVID-19 lockdowns. Relocating production out of China could also avoid further issues as tensions escalate between Washington and Beijing. Other countries, including Mexico and Vietnam, are also becoming increasingly important to the big contract manufacturers that supply American brands. An American election software company accused of storing personal data on election workers inside China. A California district attorney made the allegation earlier this week. The company's CEO, an immigrant from China, has been arrested. Let's zoom in. We're here today to announce the arrest of Yuying Yu, who is a chief executive officer of Canic Corporation in Michigan, in connection with the theft of personal data 
of Los Angeles County election workers. Investigators seized hard drives and other digital evidence. The investigators have been conducting searches of his home and other Koenig locations in Michigan. According to the district attorney's office, the investigation is concerned solely with the information of election workers, stating that the allegations had no impact on election results. At issue here is the theft of personal identifying information of election workers in Los Angeles County. This information is not, I repeat, it is not related to election material or voter information. The Michigan-based company is responsible for the software used in managing Los Angeles County election poll workers. According to Gascon's office, Connick won a five-year, $2.9 million contract with LA County in 2020 for its election worker management system named Poll Chief that was used by the county in the last California election. Connick was supposed to securely maintain the data and that only United States citizens and permanent residents have access to it. Investigators found that in contradiction to the contract, information was stored on servers in China. A day before Yu's arrest, the New York Times reported on October 3rd that Connick had become the target of allegations that it has ties to the Chinese Communist Party. The company denies the allegations. On September 12th, Connick sued a nonprofit vote monitoring organization called True the Vote for repeatedly making, quote, false and racist accusations against Connick. The organization claims that Connick is tied to the Confucius Institute, a CCP organization that spreads propaganda through Western universities. Entity reached out to Connick for comment. The district attorney's office is seeking use extradition to Los Angeles. David Lamb, Entity News, California. Human rights in China and the repression of Uyghurs in Xinjiang province. The UN human rights body declined to debate the issue. Here's more on that. In a rare move, the UN Rights Council on Thursday voted down a motion to hold a debate about alleged human rights abuses by China against Uyghurs and other Muslims in Xinjiang. Por favor, por favor. The surprise victory for Beijing was met with a burst of applause after the result was announced in the packed Geneva-based council room. The defeat is only the second time in the council's 16-year history that a motion has been rejected and is seen by observers as a setback to both the West's moral authority on human rights and the credibility of the United Nations itself. The United States, Canada and Britain were among the countries that brought the motion. U.S. Ambassador Michelle Taylor and U.K. Ambassador Simon Manley both defended the need for scrutiny. No country represented here today has a perfect human rights record. No country, no matter how powerful, should be excluded from council discussions. This includes my country, the United States, and it includes the People's Republic of China. We are here to discuss the most serious human rights violations and abuses wherever and by whomever they are committed. There can be no doubt about the gravity and the scale of what has been reported in Xinjiang warrants such a debate. The UN Rights Office on August 31st released a long-delayed report that found serious human rights violations in Xinjiang that may constitute crimes against humanity, ramping up pressure on China. But China's envoy had warned before the vote 
that the motion would create a precedent for examining other countries' human rights records. The motion is the first time the rights record of China, a powerful permanent Security Council member, has been on the agenda of the Human Rights Council. Rights groups accuse Beijing of abuses against Uyghurs, a mainly Muslim ethnic minority that numbers around 10 million in the western region of Xinjiang, including the mass use of forced labor in internment camps. The United States has accused China of genocide. Beijing denies any abuses. The Xinjiang region in western China has been hit with sweeping COVID-19 travel restrictions. That's as Beijing ratchets up control measures ahead of a key Communist Party Congress later this month. Here's more. Xinjiang is under lockdown, again. On Tuesday, the region of 22 million people reported 38 new asymptomatic COVID-19 cases. That's less than one case for every half a million people. The result? Residents are banned from leaving. Trains and buses in and out of Xinjiang have been suspended. As is often the case with China's draconian zero-COVID-19 policy, some say the measures seem out of proportion to the number of cases detected. Local authorities said the measures are meant to stop virus spillover. One Xinjiang official also apologized for the spread of the virus to other regions and provinces in China. The sweeping travel restrictions come as an apparent show of force, just ahead of China's National Congress. At the meeting, Chinese leader Xi Jinping is expected to take an unprecedented third term. The new lockdown follows just weeks after the last one, where some residents reportedly faced starvation from food shortages. Xinjiang has been under special scrutiny under the regime's establishment of what officials there call re-education centers. In them, Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities are allegedly subjected to a range of human rights abuses. Travel chaos in Yunnan province. Footage of police holding machine guns at the region's Xishuanbana airport has gone viral. The fully armed and geared forces are stopping tourists from boarding their planes. This after Xishuanbana reported 27 COVID-19 infections on Tuesday. Under China's strict zero-COVID-19 policy, the area's night markets have been closed, with some residential areas and hotels sealed off. Videos online show empty supermarket shelves as everyone braces for the lockdown. Residents and tourists there have to take three PCR tests within three days. Even cats and dogs are getting tested. The Communist Party's draconian response to the outbreak comes just over a week before China's National Congress. China's zero-COVID-19 policy seeks to contain every outbreak using strict methods that have wrecked havoc on the country's economy and people. Yet Chinese state media touts the policy as superior to that in the West. Coming up, six missile launches in 12 days. North Korea sent up even more of the weapons on Thursday. And under threat from another of the regime's communist countries, Taiwan is stocking up on essentials. At the same time, China's Gen Z population is turning toward a more frugal lifestyle to cope with a declining economy. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. For the second time this week, North Korea launched ballistic missiles on Thursday. That's after a U.S. aircraft carrier returned to the region and the U.S. kicked off military drills with its allies. 
Those exercises came in response to North Korea's first missile launch earlier this week. Here are the details. Another day, another North Korean missile test. This time, South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff detected two short-range missiles fired into the sea off the Korean peninsula on Thursday. Pyongyang tried to reframe the test as a reaction against what it called serious threats to stability on the peninsula from the U.S. Its foreign ministry on Thursday accused Washington of ratcheting up tensions by sending the aircraft carrier USS Ronald Reagan to the region. Following the North's test, South Korean leader Yoon Suk-yeol pledged to beef up ties with the U.S. and Japan to ensure his country's security. He said he would speak to his Japanese counterpart, Fumio Kishida, over the phone on Thursday. Kishida told reporters Pyongyang's latest launch, its sixth in nearly two weeks, cannot be tolerated. Japan's defense chief Yasukazu Hamada also condemned North Korea. These actions by North Korea are a threat to the pace and security of our country, region and the international community, and it's absolutely unacceptable. Tensions escalated after Pyongyang launched an intermediate-range missile over Japan on Tuesday. In response to the North's provocations, the U.S. held joint missile drills and fighter jet exercises with Japan and South Korea. China and Russia blamed these displays of military force for provoking the North's ballistic missile tests at a U.N. Security Council meeting on Wednesday, drawing fire from U.S. envoy Linda Greenfield-Thomas. Firstly, the United States and the ROK carry out defensive military exercises responsibly and consistent with international law. Ballistic missile launches by the DPRK are unlawful. They're reckless and they endanger neighbors in the region. And there's no equivalency between these two activities. China and Russia, both permanent members of the Security Council, declined holding a public council meeting on North Korea. The U.S. accused both of enabling North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. The U.S. State Department says it's still committed to a diplomatic approach to North Korea and called on Pyongyang to engage in dialogue. Taiwan is preparing for a possible Chinese invasion by making sure all essentials are in stock. We have a system, we do inventory every month. Uh, we want to ensure we have the, a certain period of a stockpile in Taiwan, including food, including critical supply, minerals, chemicals, and energy, of course. Taiwan's Deputy Economy Minister Chen Zhenqi said Wednesday that the island is ramping up its stockpiling efforts. That's after a slowdown due to the pandemic. Some companies are already required by law to maintain energy stockpiles, including state-run electric company Thai Power and state-owned gas company CPC Core. The economy ministry said Taiwan is closely collaborating with allies to prevent loopholes and export controls. To spur the economy, Chinese authorities are pinning their hopes on consumption. But a trend that's emerged in the younger generation is running against their wishes. A growing number of Chinese millennials and Gen Z are turning to a frugal lifestyle. They're actively sharing their tips and experiences online. On Doban, a social networking platform, Internet users formed groups and forums sharing tips on saving money. Some big ones include the Stingy Men's Federation, the Stingy Women's Federation, and Crazy Money Savers. Their combined subscribers number over a million. 
In it, some post screenshots of the amount of money in their savings accounts. Others post records of their spending or share tips on how to further tighten their wallets. The trend first emerged in 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic broke out. Before that, Chinese millennials were the driving force of consumption in the country, pushing the nation's luxury market up by 20%. But after the pandemic, uncertainties about the economy have grown. China's zero COVID-19 policies led to frequent lockdowns, hurting businesses and the economy. While lockdown orders were in place, some residents had trouble finding food. In addition, mass layoffs struck the tech sector due to government crackdowns. An embattled property market and a growing youth unemployment rate are weighing on consumer sentiment. A Shanghai resident told Fortune, "Quote: Maybe it's time to worry and to save more. It's better to be safe than sorry." China may be falling behind in the U.S.-China tech war in some areas, at least. Though on paper, it appears as though China is more innovative in the tech space than the U.S. NTD's Don Ma brings us more details. In 2020, total patent applications by China topped more than 1.4 million, while the U.S. only had around 600,000. Meanwhile, Chinese tech giant Baidu recently launched a self-developed quantum computer. A former president of Google predicted that China will eventually overtake the U.S. in the artificial intelligence space. But if we look at China's practical technological advances, it paints a different picture. A Chinese official in 2019 stated that only 10% of China's patents actually have market value, and that probably 90% of them are quote trash. If we look at the percentage of R&D expenses relative to GDP, the U.S. is actually significantly outperforming China, according to the World Bank. Percentage of R&D expenses relative to GDP is a gauge that shows a country's efforts to sustain innovation. And China's lack of technological advances is especially noticeable in semiconductors. In July, China's Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation, or SMIC, said it achieved the ability to make seven nanometer chips. But because of U.S. sanctions, SMIC is barred from buying cutting-edge equipment used to make these chips. So it's likely that it was using older technology. At the same time, there's no sign that SMIC is able to mass-produce these chips. In comparison, U.S. semiconductor manufacturer Intel is on track for volume production of seven nanometer chips this year. In fact, U.S. sanctions have noticeably impacted China's chip industry. Think the Chips Act. China's Foreign Ministry and Commerce Ministry have both publicly voiced discontent with the U.S. Chips Act. The act bars some U.S. companies from investing in China's cutting-edge chip-making capability. And it seems like so far China has yet to come with any effective countermeasures. Top Chinese chip industry officials have said that quote China's semiconductor industry will face a more dire environment ahead. In fact, a record number of semiconductor-related Chinese entities have ceased to exist in the first eight months of this year. As many as 3,500 companies have deregistered. An impact on the semiconductor industry is significant because microchips go into so many things. Like communications, healthcare, military systems, transportation, clean energy, and artificial intelligence. And on the point of AI, the U.S.'s most recent chip ban on China has really dampened its artificial intelligence ambitions. So much so that the possibility China will overtake the U.S. in AI is looking increasingly remote. Last month, U.S. officials ordered chip designer Nvidia to stop exporting two of its top computer chips to China. These chips are GPUs or video graphic cards. 
These hit China's AI sector hard. A Chinese chip industry veteran says that NVIDIA essentially has a near monopoly on GPUs that are used to train artificial intelligence. He's the chief technology officer of Shanghai-based company Iluvatar Cortex. For China, NVIDIA GPUs are hard to replace. The chief technology officer says that local Chinese rivals are not yet able to challenge NVIDIA in the GPU space. Chinese-owned newspaper South China Morning Post reported that the NVIDIA chip ban is a direct threat to Beijing's artificial intelligence ambitions. It says that many of China's AI achievements would not be possible without NVIDIA. When it comes to the U.S.-China tech race, AI is a very important element. In fact, a recent report by the Special Competitive Studies Project found that artificial intelligence, as well as semiconductors, are the core battlegrounds when it comes to the U.S.-China tech war. And the winner of this race will be the country that is more successful in these areas. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.